The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. John the Baptist appeared preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. And therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a definite sequence to the movement of the Sundays of Advent, the weeks of Advent. It is not simply that we have four weeks before the celebration of Christmas, but they build as we move through this time. What we do the first week sets the table for what we do the second week. A week ago, in our opening prayer of the Mass, we began the holy season of Advent asking for a very particular grace. We asked heaven for the grace to be resolved, resolute, firmly committed to running out to meet the Lord with good deeds in our hands, righteous deeds in our hands when he comes. And so the season begins not with an idea of passive waiting for the Lord to come, but of preparation to meet him when he does, a preparation that requires us to move freely and not to arrive at the Lord empty-handed. And there is much false preaching of the gospel which ignores that fundamental truth and reality, that when we come to the Lord, we bring something. And so to rush out with righteous deeds to meet the Lord when he comes. 
Today, what we all said amen to, and again, I stress that, pay attention to that prayer at the beginning of Mass because you're agreeing to it. And so the amen by which we make the prayer our own today asks for a grace that builds on what we asked for last week. So if last week we asked to be resolved to run with righteous deeds in our hands to the Lord, this week we attend to being able to run in the first place. And so we pray, may no earthly undertaking hinder us hinder those who set out to meet the Lord. And so note now, the issue is if we are resolved to move with a certain spiritual swiftness in the direction of the Lord, the question now becomes, what will allow me to do that without stumbling? What will allow me to do that without knocking me off course? And the prayer is remarkable in that it doesn't mention sin directly. May no earthly undertaking. Because the simple fact of the matter is we are often spiritually misdirected. We are often spiritually misguided, not because we are particularly great sinners. We're often fairly mediocre at that too. But because we're distracted, overwhelmed, we've cluttered our lives with things which, while they may be good in themselves, prevent us from moving forward. We have too much in our hands to include righteous deeds there because our hands are full. We have so many things calling to our hearts and pulling us in so many different directions that it's hard to move forward because I have to turn this way and I have to turn that way. And so note how it is often the ordinary things that we believe make up our lives that often get in our way. And so the second part of the grace we pray for is that the learning of heavenly wisdom might unite us to the Lord. And why? Because we need that gift of wisdom, of truly heavenly wisdom, to put our priorities in right order, to clearly see what has value and what doesn't, to clearly have a sense of what is the right way to spend my time, versus the wrong way, to clearly identify where the energy of my heart needs to go in the first place. Because there's so much around us that says, start with me, turn this way, pay attention to me. And it can become very hard for us to navigate that, and we need the help of grace to see. Note how wonderful, then, this sequence of prayers that we move through Advent with becomes. If we're going to make a decision to move toward the Lord, the next thing is to ask ourselves, how do we begin doing that? And what could get in the way? This is why we have the readings that we do today. In particular, this remarkable gospel reading from chapter 3 of St. Matthew's Gospel. 
Remarkable on a lot of levels, in no small measure also because of the historical context out of which the voice of John the Baptist erupts in Israel. For some 300 years, there had not been a publicly recognizable prophet. And so there was a certain silence, a silence of the voice of the prophet, a silence of the word of God, calling out into the hearing of the people to promise, to remind, to exhort. And in that absence of the prophetic speaking, there were also, in the years leading up to the birth of Jesus, false messiahs who appeared, who looked at the people and said, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Follow me. And they called out and misled many. And the people themselves were living at a time of great confusion. And so in the middle of all of this, in a certain lack of direction, a certain vagueness about which way is the way forward, all of a sudden, a voice rings out. And it's a powerful voice and a different kind of a voice. This is what we have in our reading today. As the Baptist begins preaching with a voice that booms out of that silence, that rises above all of the other sounds and all of the other noise going on. And let's just pause right there with this raised voice of the Baptist crying out. Because when we raise our voices, we raise our voices for various reasons. One, if the person to whom I need to speak is at a distance from me, a whisper won't do. A regular tone of voice won't do. I have to shout. I have to elevate my voice. If the person to whom I am speaking has difficulty hearing, I speak louder. If the context in which I'm speaking is filled with noise, I speak louder so that my voice rises above it. Or if we're angry, we raise our voices too, don't we? All of that is going on in Israel at that time. And so it is that a voice is raised because the hearts of many are far away. And the Lord is speaking in such a way that he wants his word to reach the heart that is distant. The voice is raised because there are all too many who are spiritually and morally deaf, hard of hearing. And so the voice is raised. It is not a gentle voice. It is not an ordinary voice. It is not a comforting voice because this voice must penetrate the deafness of the heart. This voice is raised and it is powerful and it commands attention 
because there are so many other distractions, and it refuses to be just one sound among many. This voice is also raised because our hearts are sin-afflicted, sin-numbed, and in fact, in love with sin. And so the call comes to repent and to move because resting in that is surrendering to death. Note what is going on here then. Prior to the Lord revealing himself publicly, there is the voice. And a voice has no value if it doesn't have a word. A voice without a word is just noise. A voice without a real word, a good word, is just noise. Most of what we hear in the world around us is, bluntly put, merely noise. This voice, however, is different. And that's why there is such a remarkable response as this voice calls out. This voice is related to a word, at the service of a word. This voice is raised not because the Baptist wants everybody to listen to him, but because there is a word that is coming. And it is the word that must be heard, the word that must be received, the word that must be listened. How absolutely remarkable this is. And John knows exactly what he's doing here. He comes out of the desert where he was away from the noise of the world. Fasting. And we hear, clothed with camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey. In other words, not feeding upon the complacency of the world around him. And he is one who, not fed on those things, steps forward to speak differently. His voice doesn't sound like the voice of one who has grown up, numbing himself in all the ways we learn to numb ourselves. And he steps out of the desert as a reminder to Israel that Israel itself went through a desert to come to a place that was promised. And he stops at a river, the Jordan River, because that is the river the people crossed when they left the desert to enter the promised land. And so the Baptist, who knows that the time of the kingdom of heaven is arriving, symbolically goes to that place where Israel of old passed the desert into the land of blessing. And he stands there in those waters and he calls the people to come back to those waters, to come back to that place, that place where they first heard the voice of God, that place where they crossed from slavery into freedom, 
that place where what was promised them was going to be given to them. Note how beautiful that is. And standing there at the place from which Israel first entered and received possession of the land that was promised, he speaks now of a greater promise. He speaks now of coming into possession of something much greater than mere territory. And so he says, come. But it's not simply come, show up, and receive. It is come and repent. Leave behind those things that prevent your heart from moving forward. Leave behind those obstacles over which you stumble on your way to the kingdom. Leave behind those chains that prevent you from moving in the first place. Why repent? Because the king is coming. Because the kingdom is coming. And when he comes, there is a place for you if you respond. Note the double dynamic here. The Lord is coming, and so the Baptist says, prepare the way of the Lord. And what he doesn't mean is remove the obstacles from the Lord, because it's not like the Lord is going to trip on his way to you. What he's really saying is, put yourself on the Lord's way and remove those obstacles that prevent you from walking along it. And so he calls out. He calls out, and then what do we hear? There is a tremendous response. The people come in great numbers to John. They're struck by this call to come, acknowledge their guilt, and repent, so that when forgiveness comes to them, they are ready to receive it. But there are those who come forward, the Pharisees and the Sadducees we hear, and many of them we hear come forward. They join the many who come to be baptized with the water of repentance. And the Baptist looks at them and gives them that marvelously polite greeting, you brood of vipers, you nest of snakes, you venomous serpents. What a remarkable thing to say. And once again, we see the prophetic word is many things, but it is seldom polite. And the voice is raised. Do we hear now the voice being raised in a certain form of anger? Because the voice is saying to them, showing up isn't enough. Just coming here isn't enough if your heart is not going to move. You could step into this water, I can pour the water over your head, and symbolically you're ready to go. But if your heart isn't going to move, you may as well just stay at home. This is not for show, he says. This is not to be for, for being seen, he says. This is not, let me participate because everybody else is doing it. 
This is you. Attend to the state of your heart and move it in the direction of the Lord. Sometimes we can fall into a certain complacent religiosity. And we have to remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his day were those who were very serious about the character of their religious practice. They came out for everything. They showed up for everything. And he looks at them and says, don't think that all of that means everything is taken care of. Because there's a danger of going through the spiritual motions where, we, again, we rock ourselves spiritually to sleep, saying, I haven't done anything terribly wrong. I must be okay. And here, the word cuts into their hearts and says, that's not enough either. What new movement, what positive step has your heart taken in the direction of the Lord? Because none of us is so perfect, none of us is so sin-free that we have nothing that doesn't need to change. And so note that in Advent, one of the essential elements of the season is responding to that call of repentance, which is a letting go of what holds us back so that we are free to step forward. And as the Baptist says this, he emphasizes that unlike the false prophets who came before him, unlike the false messiahs whose words were still ringing in the people's ears, he was not interested in building a following of his own. Note what he says. Everything I'm doing here is on behalf of somebody else. I have come first. The voice is raised so that you can hear the word. But the word is coming. Repent, because he is coming. And here, all of a sudden, everything becomes different in Israel. Up until this moment, the prophets announced a promise. John, whom Jesus himself says is more than a prophet, greater than the prophets, doesn't announce a promise. He announces the fulfillment. That day that we heard about in the first reading, on that day, the Baptist comes out of the desert and says, that day is today. That day is now, because that one for whom we have been waiting is here. And soon he will show his face to you. Soon he will step forward. Soon he will bring the kingdom to you. And because it's that soon, get ready. Now, note how marvelous that is. But again, it's recognizing the nearness of the Lord. And as he draws near, 
that very nearness requires a response from us. Repent. Change your heart now so that when the moment of grace arrives, you're ready. And the amazing thing about all of this is note how even though there's so much about Jesus that is absolutely surprising, God goes out of his way not to catch us off guard. God goes out of his way to give us a warning. This is the other reason why we have the four weeks of Advent in the church. So that when the moment of grace comes, when the fullness of Christ comes, we're not caught completely off guard, even if we don't know the exact moment, because we've been making ourselves ready. And we're making ourselves ready for goodness and glory. And what are we getting ready for? We're getting ready for that marvelous series of impossibilities that we heard in the first reading. A remarkable reading that talks about the effects of that one who is to come. That one bearing the spirit of the Lord. And what will happen when he arrives? The wolf will stop eating the sheep and simply enjoy its company. The lion and the lamb will be together and no one's going to get killed and eaten. The baby and the cobra will be able to play safely together. Don't go home and try any of this. The little child will put his hand on the nest of the venomous serpents and he'll be just fine. And what is our natural reaction to that? Oh, you can't be serious because the world doesn't work that way. And note, the very essence of what we wait for is precisely for the world to stop working the way it does as impossible as that seems. We're not waiting for somebody who's coming for business as usual. The transformation is that great, and that's why the call to repent is so strong. And so let's rephrase what Isaiah the prophet says for a moment and look at some other impossibilities. Those two members of my family who've been fighting for years and refuse to speak to one another will be in the same room without anger. Imagine that. Imagine that. The one who has been carrying a grudge in his or her heart over all of the ways he has been wronged over the years, will let that go and stop poisoning himself by reliving old wounds. Wouldn't that be a wonderful change? This is what's going on in that reading, where the innocence within us can stretch out its hand over that serpent's nest that has been living in our hearts and no longer be bit by all of the wounds and resentments 
and insecurities that live there. That those of us who have been at odds with each other and don't even know how to begin reconciling can find a way forward. That a world where the predatory pursuit of profit is suddenly not destroying lives. Wouldn't that be remarkable? This is what we wait for. And that's why such a loud voice is raised in the desert. Because we've grown numb and deaf and used to so many things. And we've made our peace with this broken world in a way that closes us off to grace. And so the Lord has to raise his voice. But the voice is raised so that when the word steps forward and we meet him, we have a chance. We have a chance to receive the full promise. Isn't that wonderful? And we're going to do dress rehearsal for that in just a couple minutes. Because that same Jesus Christ to whom John the Baptist is pointing is going to be right here. That same one who will cause the lion to lie down with the lamb and the wolf with the sheep. That same one who makes it possible for the baby and the cobra to coexist is going to be right here. And what are we going to do? We're going to get up. We've removed the obstructions from the aisles. And we're going to come down along the way of the Lord to him. And we're going to stretch out our hands. And he's the one we're going to stretch out our hands to. And you're stretching out your hand to the possibility that in your life and in your heart, the lion and the lamb can lie down together. What a marvelous reality that is. It is good. It is good that we hear this voice today. It is good that our hearts can be woken up because we've all been sleeping for far too long. But today, awakened by the Baptist, we can stretch out our hands to something much more than a promise. We can stretch out our hands to the full reality of salvation. And that is the greatest of things. Amen.